This week's episode contains content related to eating disorders and eating disorder behavior, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Collective Conversations, the podcast that explores the intersection of social health, community, and connection for mental wellness. We're your hosts, Chris Henson. And I'm Mackenzie Fox. We're therapists with The Collective, a treatment center based on social health located in Nashville, Tennessee. In each episode of Collective Conversations, we'll be talking to experts, influencers, and everyday people who are making a difference in the world of social health. We'll dive into topics like loneliness, building community, and the power of vulnerability. Hey, Mackenzie, I haven't seen you in so long. It has been so long, Chris. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am good. Yeah. What have you been doing? You know, spooky season. It is spooky season. Honestly, um, for those of you that don't know, my life is spooky season. I feel like I exist as a witch all year round. I mean, you're kind of dressed like Cruella DeVille right now. Thank you. Actually, our special guest today, I showed up to her last Halloween party dressed as Cruella DeVille. So that is in my in my blood. For That's sure. perfect. That's perfect. I've been uh, just getting a lot of soup recipes, trying to like do a lot of soup this this season and next couple months. That is what I think the fall season is supposed to be. Yeah, but I don't ever really actually do it. I like say I'm going to do it <laughs> and then I'm actually going to do it. Don't promise me soup, Chris, if you're not going to make soup. I promise you some soup. Okay, I don't know you. what kind it is, but you're going to get some random soup. Love it. Thank you. <laughs> So we're talking about body image today. We are. I'll be honest. I don't know a lot about it. I've had my own struggles with it. As a male, I'm sure it shows up differently than as it may for women. And I think there's just a lot of different standards. And that's why I think it's great who we have as our special guest today and as well as you with your own experience and understanding of it and expertise. So yeah, I'm just going to kind of give it to you to take it away. What is body image to you? Yeah. So body image really is the area that I've kind of dedicated, especially my professional life to. Um, but certainly I think as activist efforts and um, my personal life as well, I think it's a struggle that I have had for a really long time, including like battle with an eating disorder that I'm in recovery from now. And so, yeah, body image is something that I deal with day in, day out, professionally and personally. I think it is something that we hear often because everyone does struggle with it at some point. I think that to sort of normalize that we sometimes don't like our bodies and sometimes that we do is really important because that's true. We're all walking around with brains in our head existing in like this this animal, right? This body. And to to know how to connect those two things especially in the society we live in, can sometimes be difficult. But I wanted to give a couple like statistics just to talk about what um, this looks like. Um, and one of the areas that I start is always with teenagers because I think sometimes we forget how young these struggles start. So in a survey of almost 15,000 American high school students, 30% of the men reported a desire to gain weight um, for muscularity purposes. Um, and around 50% of American girls reported being unhappy with their bodies. Adolescents who believe they weren't thin enough or might get too fat, and I'm putting those in quotes, 53% of them exhibited clinical symptoms of body dysmorphic disorder. So we're looking at really a range between what is healthy body image all the way to what could be body dysmorphic disorder, um, which is one of the disorders that we see in the DSM. And just simply put, body image is the, it's our thoughts, feelings, and perceptions about your body that ranges from positive to negative experiences. And it can really be influenced by internal and external factors. So Chris, since you are the one that like is on the hot seat today and is learning things, does that help frame that up about like, what is body image? It does. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I think it's individualized depending on like 
how each person views it. But I think that really helps just adding the statistics. Yeah. The other piece too that um, I share with people when I'm working with them and to cultivate some more healthy body image is to look at a look at it on a spectrum all the way from body hate to body love. Um, and there can be a couple stages in between. One of the big ones is tolerating your body and then body neutrality, which I think we hear a lot in media. But talking about media reminds me that, hey, this is something that we see all the time. Uh, within the last like 10 to 15 years, the body positive movement has become huge where we're just talking about uh, sometimes uh, skirting around like what society says is acceptable for our bodies and really making a big push to find some acceptance. And so that's why I'm really excited for our special guest today. Her name is Taylor Connor. She is a Nashville native who was born and raised in Franklin, Tennessee. She graduated from the University of Tennessee at Knoxville with a nursing degree, and then shortly after returned to Nashville where she began her five-year career as a nurse on a cardiology unit at Vanderbilt. She worked for a year as a mental health psych NP, and then switched over to nursing aesthetics. And that is where she has landed today. She works for Skin Farm down in Franklin. So shout out to them for letting us borrow her for the day. Woo. <laughs> um, but yeah, Taylor, hey. Oh my gosh. Hey, hey. Hi, guys. Hi. I am tickled to be back here in your presence. So thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to have you. I'm yeah. glad to be here. I don't think I mentioned uh, in my intro for you that you helped launch the collective. Yeah. Plot twist. Plot I'm, twist. I'm back. Yeah, that's how I met you. <laughs> I literally just blew in the back door like I still worked here and <laughs> just whipped into the parking lot. I so. love it. Yeah. Love so it. Taylor started uh, the journey of the collective with us back in 2020. That is insane. It is insane. Time. What is she? Yes. I don't know. She was our nurse practitioner when we started. Yeah. And so it's always, it's been so good to have you back on, back in here and on our couch. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. Absolutely. Let's do some rapid fire questions with her real quick. Let's I've got do one. It. Okay. Oh, Chris has wow, one. Wow. I'm ready. What is your favorite style of lamp? Oh my god. We're thinking shape, we're thinking, you know, size and maybe even just uh light radius. Okay. The weird thing is is I have a great I think I have a great answer or like I know immediately. I love a tall lamp that is like skinny in the body but like maybe like three legs or so, maybe a gold like like a nice gold and then like a big white classic shade. Does Love that make that. sense? Yeah. Yes. I see it in my mind. Good. Yeah. Do you have that in your house right now? I do. I have yeah. two of them. Yeah. And that and I love them. Your house is so well decorated. I think that's one of the things that I am so envious of. I very much appreciate that. <laughs> I have had a lot of help. That's not my strong point. Interior <laughs> design is not my But you know your lamps. But I do know the lamps. <laughs> you do Shout know out to my mother in law. <laughs> she helps me with those. So <laughs> They're great lamps and I, I will, I will have them for forever. I love that. My question for you, if you could only listen to two albums. Oh my gosh. For the rest of your life, who would it be? What would it be? Oh my gosh. This is so hard. Is this harder than the lamp question? Yes. <laughs> I love music so much. It would have to be, um, one of the Kings of Leon albums, probably one, one of their older ones because of the times probably it's was a, good a one. great one really any of like their first three albums I'm obsessed with and then gosh I really hate to be this girl but like I do have to do like a Taylor Swift album like yeah 
but I loved her like moody stuff. So maybe like folklore. I, yeah. I could listen to her stuff on repeat. I don't get tired of it. So that's a good, it's a good spectrum. That's my answer today, but it would be different in like three days. Answers can change. Chris, you look like you're thinking. Yeah. What is your favorite time of day? Ooh, um, I actually am a morning person after I've had my coffee. Like so, a specific time? Yeah. Like any time, like around 7 or 7.30 a.m. I know. Yeah, it's truly a morning person. Yeah. If I've had like a good night's sleep, I love nothing more than like it being quiet in the house and like turning the fire on and then getting a good cup of coffee and just sitting there and like just like kind of in silence or like reading a book at that hour. I love that. And I feel like energized at that time of day. Okay. Yeah. One final question. Yeah, let's hear it. Because I know you. What is in your famous morning breakfast? Wow, this is a good one. <laughs> This is could be considered disordered, but I swear it's not. It's just very convenient. And I love this smoothie. I've been drinking it for literally years. It sounds complex, but like once you get into the like, once you start doing it every day, you're just like, oh, this is easy. It takes me like five minutes. So half a cup of frozen blueberries, a banana. You can choose whatever ripeness you want, but I like them sweet. So I let them get pretty ripe. And then I do a handful of spinach. There's flax seeds, some raw oats, peanut butter, protein powder, almond milk. It keeps you full too. This is not like a this is not like a strawberry smoothie. That's similar to mine. Is it really? Yeah, mine is banana, peanut butter, usually vanilla protein powder. Okay. Chopped up spinach or lettuce. One time I didn't have spinach, so let's put lettuce in it. Lettuce. And uh, either wow. uh, frozen mango, strawberries. Hydration. Yeah. We love that. So and the chocolate almond milk. Okay, there we go. The blueberries really make mine look like I'm drinking tar. Um, so <laughs> if you want an aesthetically pleasing smoothie, this is not it. But if you want to be full and have like a real meal, it's a good one. Yeah. I'm going to try one. it out. Yeah, do it. For the year and a half that you were here, that was the thing that I was always accustomed to seeing you drinking. Yeah. It was literally the just ripping the smoothie every morning. Yeah. Yeah. Every morning. <laughs> every morning. <laughs> you just can't, can't go wrong with it. Like, what can I say? When you find something you like, you like it. Yes. Yeah. I love it. Well, so there's a really special reason that we had you on today, other than yes. just the fact that we're obsessed with you. Mutual. But it's, <laughs> it's that you really do have a passion for like doing this work of body image and body acceptance and body positivity. And you work in a field that yeah. may not always exist that way. And so I would love for you to just share a little bit about yourself, how you ended up where you are. Um, and yeah, just tell us about you. For sure. So you've already done a beautiful introduction for like my career and stuff. So like small recap there. Obviously, I'm a nurse practitioner, technically a family nurse practitioner. But the beautiful thing about that degree is you can literally you can do kind of anything with it, which was why it like appealed to me or whatever. I've always loved helping people. I've always been like, I know you're like this too, Mackenzie, and I feel like you are too, Chris, but just like a very empathic human being. Like even when I was young, I was always like trying to go deep with my friends. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? To like much yeah. people's dismay. They were like, we're just trying to like gossip about boys. And I'd be like, but tell me how you're feeling today. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it was oftentimes because I wanted to be asked those questions too. Right. So I think that that's just who I am as a human being when it comes to like caring for others, having empathy. And I think that does play like a role in obviously my career, but obviously in my passion towards like helping others, you know, in the body image space as well. So as far as like why body image is important to me, I guess I was pretty, 
I loved the neutral way that you described things, but I was pretty neutral towards my body when I was like in middle school. Like I really was pretty confident, didn't really like know anything different. But I would say in high school, there was a period where I just started um, working out more like I was running. I was always an athlete, but I took up running because I really enjoyed it. And I ended up losing weight because of it very like unintentionally. It just happened. But I remember getting extreme amount of praise from both my peers and then, you know, even adults at the time were like people's parents were saying things to me. And I'm definitely a type A person. I think that anyone who's struggled with an eating disorder, really anything like that, I think you do have to be a little bit wired for it. Like I think there are some people who are just inherently immune to it and in a way that I could never understand, but that I'm insanely jealous of. But that was not me. So I really got addicted to that feedback. And I think part of caring for others and having a heart for them means that you probably really care too about what other people think. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. 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 So for me, that that was kind of where it all started. And it slowly over time just kind of spiraled. So I, I was, you know, I was fine, you know, through high school. But when I got to college, I was a nursing major. I was like really serious about my grades. I, I've always been like, you know, a perfectionist in that capacity. And I've always just kind of been kind of good at what I did. And I know that sounds really weird, but it was something that I feel like I got a little bit labeled as when I was like younger. And, um, you know, like if you play a sport, then you're going to be the best at it. If you're going to be a studier in school, then you're going to get like the best grades. And so I took that quite literally when it came to my body as well. I felt like um, it was certainly a means to control. I think for many people, like if you have underlying anxiety or other potential diagnoses, then it's a great way to feel like you are in control of something. And that's what it totally became for me. So my eating disorder was mainly orthorexia. Like I had a list of foods that I could eat. And then that list just got like smaller and smaller and smaller as I progressed until it really started like affecting my life in just so many ways. Like I, I think back so many times about how many dinners I was present at, but like, I wasn't actually like enjoying them. Um, I wasn't even like, like mentally present because I was so uh, consumed with like the food that was in front of me and all these things. But shout out to my older sister who is like one of my best friends, but she like knew something was wrong and she went to my parents and she told them kind of about what was going on. And I have an amazing family and they were like, this is not it. We're going to get you help. And they did. And I started my recovery journey, right? Like my halfway through my senior year of college and really spent like a a couple of years after uh, college with therapy and, you know, a dietitian. And um, I was thankful I was able to do that outpatient. Uh, Anyways, long winded. I've now been in recovery from that for like almost eight years. Um, Amazing. Woo. But ever since I um, have worked in the field, I've experienced it myself. I've definitely noticed that there are um, still a handful of people who one don't know that they're struggling with this because it's become such a normalized thing in our culture or two, they know it, but they can't, uh, they oftentimes can't fully like recover from it. 
or they struggle with that like continuously. And I do feel so lucky that it is something in my life that I have really been able to like completely relinquish, not to say there's not other like things that we all have in our life, but, um, it's something I'm passionate about because I feel like, um, I'm so grateful that I'm on the other side of it. And now that I experience life in such a like full and joyful way, it's something that I hope to like impose on others because like who wouldn't want to, to spread that. And I think it's important to talk about too, because there's, there's hope in it because I remember feeling like there's no way I'm never going to be able to get over this. But like when I heard other people talk about it, it, it was so relatable and it was like, okay, no, like I can do this. So anyways, that's where I am. That's yeah. my story. I love that. Thanks so much yeah, for sharing you. all of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, I can relate to the idea of you get to this point in your eating disorder where you're like, I don't know if there's something on the other side of this. And then you've got eight years. I've got, um, I'm coming up on 11 and like, Amazing. right. And so to have like, I, I think it is so important for people if you're out there and you're struggling with something like this mm-hmm. to know that like, there are people that really do have like long-term successful recovery and still like struggle with body image. They still struggle with, yes, you know, even food and like fueling yourself and things like that. The idea of recovery is not that you're never going to struggle again, or you're not going to have these thoughts, but to know that you've got those tools that, that you can use, utilize. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I always love hearing your yeah. recovery journey. Um, I love it. It's amazing. And I think like even taking it a step further, like I remember thinking that I would never be able to work in really any field that involved this or that where I would be, you know, in the job that I do now. Um, obviously, like it's a central focus on like what I'm doing every day is the appearance of others. And I remember being like, oh, I could never do that job, like because it wouldn't be like it wouldn't honor my recovery. But I think it's beautiful that we can the great thing about being humans is that we can apply like any of our experiences to really any situation for the most part and make it like a positive one or or make it into what we want it to be. So you did your work, you found pretty solid recovery. Like we said earlier, you worked with us at the collective and mental health, and then you wanted to make a pivot. And so tell us about your pivot. I did. So I work in aesthetics. So that is like for those for people who don't know what that is, it's like in a a lot of skin related things. So I do like, you know, general skin health, like treating your classic skin concerns like acne or rosacea, those types of things. But um, it is also a lot of cosmetic work as well. So that would include injectables, Botox, fillers, laser therapy, microneedling, that type of thing. So a lot of skin health. So yeah, it was quite the, it was quite the pivot. Uh, I was always interested in skin itself. Like I just was fascinated by it. I always was like weirdly obsessed with skincare and that type of thing. I re- I didn't really even know that it was a, a career that you could have until I became a patient myself and then ended up talking to like my injector at the time. And, and then I just like kind of got like my mind made up after that, that I was like, okay, no, like I'm going to get into this field and I'm going to do it in a way that is still respectful to like my beliefs and my ethics and things like that, because those things are really important to me. And they, and they do get challenged when you're completely changing careers, you know, being around y'all every day, like who wouldn't freaking love that? Um, but I was inundated with positive messages, 
constantly being built up, people who were very similar to me when it came to what like I believed in. And that was that's a comfort that like you don't realize that you have until like you're kind of exposed to different areas. So it was challenging in in, the, in that sense that like the safety side of it, because like we're all just we were very similar here, but it was very positive as far as like growth goes. So, yeah, aesthetics. That's where I'm at. That's what I do. So tell us a little bit about how you one, what your work entails. I mean, I know you said that like you're doing Botox and injectables and you do a lot of like really cool stuff. Sure. Um, how do you do that and also hold some of those principles and ethics that you were talking about of of body acceptance and mm-hmm. yeah, like how do you hold both of those things? Cause I think sometimes, especially for me, it feels like a dialectic. Yeah. Yes. I definitely think um, the tricky thing about body image or the intersection of like what I do and body image in general is that it's really individualized because I find that there are people in my life, like this is just an example who I know who could not get an eating disorder if they tried, like they could do diets and, and still be like very healthy people. And then there's like the opposite end of the spectrum, like me, like for instance, like I will never diet again because I just won't, like, I'm just never going to do that. Like, do you know what I mean? So I think the same thing applies to people's mental health and their, their body perception in general. So I think for me, something that I prioritize, and obviously I like to spend time with my patients during the consultation process, but my biggest goal is to never, ever, ever create insecurities in others. Mm. So that was something that I noted a lot in the aesthetics field is that, you know, it's, it's a business and you are, um, I didn't want to play a role in capitalizing on people's insecurities. So I try to keep a really honest and upfront dialogue with my clients. Like I have patients who sit down and they're like, Hey, what would you do? Like, what, what do I need? And my response is the same every single time. I'm like, well, you don't need anything. This is purely elective. So I like to take the approach of never pointing out things that I see, even if it's something that I think that they would like, but it might be something that they never noticed about like their face or their appearance and that I did because it's my job to stare at people's faces all day. (laughs) So that is one of the most important parts to me is the consultation. And then my big thing is finding out what is bothering people, like what is holding them back from feeling good about themselves. And you know, sometimes that's the patient breaking down and then being like, I hate myself and me being like, or not, I hate myself, but, you know, going to a really vulnerable place, which I feel very lucky that they trust me to do that. Um, and me being like, Hey, this isn't going to be fixable, um, with like a little bit of Botox in your forehead. Like, because I tell my patients this all the time, like, if you don't like yourself before you get injections or before you do these treatments, you're not going to like yourself after. So the intention, like why they're there is so important Mm -hmm. to me. So I definitely have the range of those people. And then, um, you know, I would say it's not a massive population, but body dysmorphia is real across any population, obviously. And then I have patients who are like, Yep. I just have this one little brown spot that's really stubborn on my cheek from laying in the tanning bed 10 years ago. And I'd really like to lighten it. And I'm like, awesome. Like, here's what we can do. So, um, I don't think it has to be as deep as like, you know, for a long time I was like, I could never tell someone that, that they need this or that or whatever, but sometimes it doesn't have to be that complex. Love that. Yeah. How do you sort of 
assess with that? You said that the uh, intake that you do, like your initial session, your consultation is so important. So how are you like, what questions are you asking? How are you assessing for what, like what this person is here for? Yeah. So I usually hand them a mirror and I will just say, if I could wave like a wand and you could have some improvements or like you could like dictate what you would see in the mirror, what would you want? Like, what would you describe it as? And that is so telling to me because they're either going to describe something that is so unrealistic that I kind of can see the root of where they're like coming up with this very like influenced by like societal expectations and norms and those types of things. Or like I said, I have someone who just is like, honestly, I I mean, I do have people who are like, honestly, I really like my face. Like, I just don't like this wrinkle. Like, do you know what I mean? (laughs) And then I'm like, oh, okay, easy peasy. Let's, let's look at like this injectable or that or whatever. So that's probably the most important question that I think I ask. Obviously, I'm doing like a typical medical intake. So I am privy to information such as like medications, previous diagnoses. I I'm lucky that my patients, I get to spend a lot of time with them. So it's pretty easy for me um, to figure out, not that I'm like trying to diagnose them, but if there is something more going on, um, people are pretty revealing, uh, in their own ways when they, when they trust you. And so I don't actually ask a lot of questions. I more so try to really make my patient feel seen and heard. And I find that they reveal those things like just naturally. I think that's really important because it sounds like you kind of meet your patients where they're at and just kind of walk along with them and let them have the autonomy to make their own choices while just providing the medical knowledge and your own you know, your own experience as well. Yes. I also am really big on choice. So Mm -hmm. I'm never like, you need this or you should do X, Y, Z. I tell my patients, I'm here to educate you and I'm here to keep you safe. So I can like give you a solution to um, like realistic solutions to things that you're struggling with. And then what you choose to do with that information is completely up to you. And as long as you're remaining safe and it's healthy for you, then like I'll, I will like guide you through that journey. Cause I feel like that's my job. It's not my job to like come in and be like, you need seven syringes of filler and this and that and that, Mm -hmm. like that just doesn't Mm -hmm. feel good to me as a, as a human being because of my background. But there are some people who want someone to direct them in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I just kindly tell people that like find an injector who aligns with you. And if it's not me, like I totally hear that. There's so many people out there. Just, it's just like a therapist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You got to find someone that you vibe with and whose goals align with yours. I love that. Yeah. As you were talking, it feels very much like finding a therapist Mm -hmm. of like, no, you have to find someone who is like, yeah, going to be on the same wavelength as you. Mm-hmm. That relationship is just really important in any kind of work that a person does for themselves. Absolutely. And who they work with. Yes, for sure. From your perspective, what psychological factors should individuals, would you recommend that individuals consider before undergoing like cosmetic procedures to enhance yeah. body image perception? For sure. I mean, obviously I would take a, a deep dive on like your own hit personal history. I think you have to be real with yourself about what you've struggled with in the past. And unfortunately, I think it, which a lot of us don't have a lot of time, but I think you have to spend some time alone with yourself. Maybe it's with your therapist or with someone you trust, making sure that your intention is very clear. And what I mean by intention is 
you know, what is the goal of this? What are you getting out of this? Is it because it gives you like, you know, a little confidence boost? Mm-hmm. You got an event you want to look great for, or are you trying to maintain the health of your skin? Like all of these things that I'm like, absolutely like here for, or is it coming from a place of like deep self-loathing or is it originating from something that someone told you you needed? Like, where is the intent from making sure that it's really yours? And then, like I said, of course, like if you have a classic diagnosis, if you're actively in treatment for um, like eating disorders and things like that, I would really be cautionary about like pursuing these types of treatments. It's a great answer. I think about the work that we do here at The Collective, which is so based on social health and connection and community. How often do you see uh, people coming in and sitting in your chair to do work based on like wanting to be accepted into their community, into their peers? Because I know like, uh, you know, I follow you on social media, which mm-hmm. if you don't follow Taylor, highly recommend. Thank you. We will link her, her socials in the show notes. But, you know, you are working with people who are in industries that that are really focused on fitting into like a pretty narrow description of what it means to be beautiful. For sure. And so like, tell me a little bit about that community and social connection piece. I mean, I think as much as like, I'd like to say like those two aren't related. The truth of it is they just very much are. And I think those things used to make me like angry, but now I feel much more just accepting of just that, like the world exists and there are parts of it that I don't necessarily agree with, but it doesn't mean that I have to like be angry towards this like Mm -hmm. expectation from people. It just, part of it is what it is and learning how to navigate that. Um, so those two things I think are obviously very highly related. I, I definitely think that anyone in the aesthetics industry is, is treating a population of people who maybe they are on camera or they are, you know, in industries where appearance is extremely important. Uh, I think that instead of like turning a blind eye, maybe to those interactions with people who come from that, I've really tried to become, I like really try to approach them empathetically and coming from a place of like, maybe being the one person who's like, Hey, you know what? I think you're beautiful. Or like, you don't really need any of this, but if you would like this, then like we can absolutely go on that route. Like redirecting, like I said, kind of their intention of things. But I do also just see a lot of patients that are like lovely and, and like they don't have those struggles, but they do like have goals, like that they're wanting to reach. And so I think there, it's a really fine line, but I think it would be a little naive to say that those like intersections don't happen. How often are you referring people to like therapist? Do you ever, or do you ever do that? I have. Yeah. <laughs> um, I might be like the only person. Who does this. <laughs> um, weirdly, I mean, it's certainly not something that happens like once a week, but, um, I, I tip, I rarely have, um, like a moment where I'm like, Hey, you, you know, like I really, really encourage this. It has happened a a handful of times, but I find again, like I'm so lucky to have amazing patients. I find that as I get to know them and I'm really open with my patients, like I, I spend a lot of time with them during these like procedures. And so, and you have to have trust because it's like, I'm working on your face so like they must, like I need them to trust me. Um, 
And so I try to be very vulnerable in an appropriate way with them too. Like I'm very open about, like I go to a therapy, I'm open about that on social media. I'm very open if, if it's appropriate about like, yeah, like I'm recovered from an eating disorder, like those types of things. And so I find that a lot of times just through conversation like that, people are like, or they'll find out that I worked in the mental health world and they're like, you know, I've been meaning to get a therapist. Like, do you have any good ones you recommend? And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, or like, you know, that type of thing. So I, I mean, more often than you would think. I love that because I think, uh, you know, some of the background for me that led me into this work was with my eating disorder, I was so obsessed with exercise and working mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, even in my recovery, it took me you know, for a really long time to realize that I could do both. Right. Yes. I could be in recovery and also be competitive with weightlifting. I could, that I could do both of those things. Yes. And so when I have clients in my office that are new to their recovery or they're new to like exploring body image concerns and they're like, well, you know, I've been thinking about getting Botox and I'm like, all right, cool. Let's talk about it. But like, it's, you know, it's as invasive as dying your hair, right? Correct. Like, so I think, and you know, we're not talking about getting bariatric surgery. We're right. not talking about like, you know, uh, other like more intense medical procedures. Correct. And so, yeah, I love that you can have both, which is there are plenty of people who can participate in diets and not end up with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And there are some people that can't. Right? Correct. And so that same both thing. of those things can exist. Yes. Yeah. And that's really important for me, I, I could see how this industry would certainly probably get like some negative connotations. Um, and I, I can understand the origin of that for sure. But at the end of the day, like, like you said, like both are possible, mm-hmm. like it, it can coexist. And I think the world does a great job of making people divisive and make pe- making people feel like they have to choose one thing or another and they have to take like this stance on something. And I really understand that. And and there are certain, you know, things that I feel like very passionately about, but I also feel very passionately about things coexisting. And I think you can, you know, get aesthetic work done and also like not do it because you hate yourself. It's body modification. I mean, you could take that question like even further. It's like, do you pierce your ears? Do you have tattoos? Do you like dye your hair? Like you said, it's like, okay, well, you know, who says that's okay. But then if you want to like not move your forehead that you can't like, you know, of course there's a line like any, you know, too much of anything is not okay. But I think that's one great thing about me, like as an injector that I found is that I get to hold that line for my patients and that makes me feel really good about the work that I do. Yeah. It sounds like a, a really special way to kind of meld your background of mental health and appreciation of skin and body image and yes. put them together. Yes. I think the attention is really the most important piece because I, I like to think of like human beings as like we're people that we have needs to be met. Mm-hmm. And what are the needs you're trying to get met socially, whatever it may be within yourself to want to change parts of your body? Yes. Thousand percent. Yeah. And and it's I take it very seriously. And I and I do tell some people no. Um, And I do, you know, maybe we get to a certain place like with treatments where I'm like, we're going to, you know, back off now. And I think that's a sign of a good injector is is someone who will keep you cares, someone who cares. Yeah. Yeah. And someone who keeps you safe and 
who can hold that line in that space for you? Because it's not my patient's job to know when they're going, you know, potentially overboard. It's it's my job. So that's the part that I take really seriously. So I know that you are pretty active, like I said, on social media. And mm-hmm. it feels like Infarm has like a big social media presence. Yes. So I'm curious for you, what are your thoughts on responsible advertising and messaging in the aesthetics industry, like concerning body image issues? Yes, I love that. Um, I social media, woof, you know what I mean? (laughs) It is hard out here, folks, for people on social media. And I'm not talking about like creating content, things like that, because I actually like low key, uh, I like enjoy parts of that because I love educating people. But I just mean like, I am so, I just want to go on record saying I'm so thankful that like TikTok and Instagram were not huge when I was like, 14 uh, yeah. years old Me too. first of all because of the amount of blackmailing that people would have on me because I, who knows what I would have posted on there but also <laughs> because it would have destroyed my mental health that was already struggle bus from like my space okay so I do think that there is certainly a big responsibility for what we're putting on social media I I think you know I can't Skin Farm as a whole, I was always very like attracted to with the way that they market their things towards people. It's way more informational. Um, and and I do think that they they try to be like inclusive in in the way that they advertise things to people. I think personally on my own page, I really strive, like I said, one to be more educational because I, I really like teaching people things um and and I like to share that information. But I also, again, never try to be too pushy about people needing these things. I I don't want people to feel like I'm selling them on this or like I'm influencing them to come like get treatments. It's more so just, again, like, hey, these are the treatments that I do. These are what they can do for you. Um, And like if you, you know, have questions about them, like ask me that type of thing. I do feel like social media as a whole plays a massive role in body image. And I think that we are inundated with messages constantly. I mean, that's kind of how capitalism works, right? It's like, let's, you know, this is wrong. So this is how you should fix it. Definitely works on me. I mean, I've definitely bought some clothes and things (laughs) that I'm like, I definitely need that. You know, Instagram ads get me every Every time, time. every time. So I think the best that we can do is try to become healthy ourselves because I think the real the reality of it is is we are never going to not have exposure to that in some capacity at least in this day and age like I just can't I just don't see that. So I like to affiliate myself with organizations that I feel like align with me with my goals and that allow me to practice um in a way that feels ethical and and moral to me which I think Skin Farm has done for me. But then I also like, you know, implement that personally in my own social media. But at the end of the day, it's like, it it is harmful. Um, even if what you're putting out there isn't harmful, you will be exposed to harmful components. So yeah. I think like the only thing you can control is your relationship with it. I hear that as like kind of building up your own defenses because we're going to be continuing to be inundated with these messages. Like when I was a kid, I remember seeing Slim Fast commercials. And yes. Yeah. Things like that. And I was like, this is kind of weird. Why would people- Is that a milkshake? <laughs> yeah. But, and, and, that's, and it's evolved into so much more. And now it's just not even commercialized industries that are doing it, just people just posting their own opinion. But I think if you develop your own defenses 
towards it and can see like, you know what? I don't need that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, that doesn't really fit and align with what I want for myself or what I morally or ethically fall in line with. Exactly. And I love that you, what did you say? Yes. What you brought up about how people are a lot of times posting their opinion. So that is something that I think that we all just should be a little more careful about assessing. Agreed. Like we are emotional like animals, right? Like that's just the, everyone has like an initial emotional response to pretty much anything they're exposed to. And I think it's so easy to take that emotion and run with it before you even assess if what you are consuming content wise is like legitimate. So I think that it could be helpful to practice that too. like stop, think about what you're looking at and and then asking yourself, like, is this a credible source or like, is this actually true? And and that can go for any, like any industry or any really like information that you're yeah. receiving, period. I think even adding to that, like noticing what's coming up for you when you're looking at these messages and, and how you're feeling in your body about what you're receiving. For sure. Because everyone is individual and has had experiences that are going to influence that and change it. So mm -hmm. like one person might not be affected at all by something they see. And then another person is like raging about it, you know, yeah. so just very different. So one final question for you, based on your experience, what advice would you give to listeners who might be considering cosmetic procedures to enhance body image or to change body image? I mean, I've, I think the, the most important thing that you can do is find an injector you trust. Like, and I think that can be easier said than done because it is a business. And so of course there's, there's so many options of places that you can go to. And I know so many injectors, both at skin farm and outside who are amazing, lovely people. So I, I think that if you're really considering this, like I said earlier, I would certainly spend a little bit of time, whether it's like journaling or just in silence or however it is you reflect, whether it's in therapy, whatever, asking yourself where your intention is coming from, what your purpose is, what your goals are and figure that out and then have just a normal consultation with a provider. You know, you don't have to go in and then that day get the injection done. Um, in fact, like, you know, unless you're really sure about it, I, I would really encourage you spending time getting to know them and exploring like who they are and, and making sure that again, that they align with you. I can't really think of anything that's more important than you putting trust like in that person and making sure you feel comfortable with them. And if you have a history of these things and you know that about yourself, share it. And, and ask what their response, you know, assess their response. If they're, you know, if it makes them really uncomfortable or something like that, then maybe they're not the right provider for you. Um, or maybe you'll be so pleasantly su surprised and they can, you know, be like, okay, like, thank you for telling me that. Um, here's how I'm going to help you hold this space. What makes you feel healthy? What makes you feel safe? Like, what are your boundaries? Like, and just establishing those. And I don't think it has to be like, like you have to ask those exact questions. Like I very rarely am asking my patients like, so what are your healthy boundaries? <laughs> um, but I, again, through like a conversation with them, getting to know them, just like you guys do as therapists, you can kind of 
in, you know, you can c- kind of figure that out once you've had enough conversation. You just hear their story them. and you just develop a relationship and things come out naturally. Thousand percent. And every patient needs something different. So I think it it's just about getting that good relationship with your injector and, and making sure that they fit you. And it's like with any medical provider or service, if they don't, like it's all good. Yeah. There are so many people to go around, like your injector is going to be fine and you're going to be fine too. Like be choosy. I love that so much because I think, uh, I think about the the first time, cause I had not had like any cosmetic like injectables mm-hmm. done until you started working yes. um, in this field. And it was so amazing to think about just, I mean, you and I had the benefit of having a relationship outside of yes. that space, but to be able to walk into that space and feel so comfortable. Like, I think it says so much about the relationship piece. And like, you know, we had kind of talked about earlier about like the social connection piece and the the health of the relationship there. But I also think it's important to like acknowledge the health of the relationship between you and the person that you're working with. Yes. And so to have that experience for myself I think has been really eye-opening for me Yes, um, to be like, oh, cool, this is Taylor and I trust Taylor. The only pause I ever had is how excited she was to put a needle in my face <laughs> the first time. <laughs> I loved every second. She was like, yes, please. Don't let you want to see a, a provider that's passionate about their work? <laughs> that's yes, right. exactly. Yeah. Passion, Mackenzie. Yeah. Passion. So funny. Uh, Taylor, thank you so much yeah. for you joining so much. us today. If this is um, a topic that really interests you, if you want to explore body image more, especially on cultivating compassionate or positive body image, we would love to have you join us for a workshop that we're hosting here at The Collective on Saturday, November 18th um, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. I know it's going to be myself. Oh my gosh, amazing. Um, I'll check my calendar. Please join us. Yes. Taylor is going to be there giving Botox. (laughs) (laughs) It's not free, people. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) I don't think I can legally do that, but I would if I could. (laughs) But yeah, we would love to have you guys um, join us for that workshop to develop just some more techniques and tools for um, framing up healthy body image uh, and body perception. So thanks again, Taylor. Any last like comments, anything you want to share? How can people find you if they want to like come visit you? Yes. So I'm at the Franklin location uh, for Skin Farm. So it's really easy. You can literally just Google Skin Farm. It's P-H-A-R-M. Sometimes people literally type in farm. Um, (laughs) And you can click, like go on their website, click the book now. And it's really easy to like get in with me. if you want to book online or obviously you can call the clinic and then obviously follow me on Instagram. It's Taylor Connor underscore NP. It's a lot of educational material, but it's really fun. It's not boring. I swear. And then a lot of my golden retriever. So if you want some extra dog love, hit me up. <laughs> love that. Yes. Thanks so much, Taylor. Yeah. Thank you so much, Taylor. It was great talking with you and just learning, especially for someone who is pretty ignorant about body image. I learned a lot. I'm so happy um, to see you guys and yeah. to be a part yeah. of this. So yeah. Thank you for having me. Yes. Absolutely. That's all today. Thank you guys for joining us on Collective Conversations. If you want to learn more, you can check out our website at mycollectivecare.com or on our Instagram at mycollectivecare. We'd also love to hear from you. So you can send us an email at hello at mycollectivecare.com or give us a call 615-208-3397. Yeah. And if you have any questions that you want us to answer on an upcoming episode, we're happy to do that. We'd love to hear from you all and, and any kind of feedback or anything you want to see us talk about in the future, let us know. 